Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kitty. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian, it's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Brian Nichols Show. Are you ready to rock and roll or maybe uh, are you ready to roar? I hope so, because the next guest, uh, you hear him roaring over at Lions of Liberty. He is the one, the only, the great Mark Clare. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Brian, it's fantastic to be here. And uh, the rumors are true. I am ready to roar. I am a longtime libertarian. I was actually just thinking about that today, how long I've actually been a libertarian. I was just kind of having that thought. And I don't really know the answer because in some ways you could pinpoint it to, you know, Ron Paul and his presidential campaigns and finding out about how about him even earlier than that. But in other ways, I feel like I've been questioning things my whole life and asking questions, asking for things to be taken to their logical conclusion. So um, you might say I've been a libertarian for you know almost as long as i've had the ability to think and speak which <laughs> is i'm not going to disclose how long that is exactly. hey, hey but you know what that's not <laughs> a bad thing because i think a lot of folks um when they start looking at the the whole libertarian movement they either start more of the uh republican conservative ilk or they're sure. more of the the leftist ilk and they they find themselves whether it's through social issues or economic issues or or you know foreign policy issues and they start to gravitate more closer towards that that libertarian sweet spot and I'm always fascinated to, to see how other people came into the movement because I myself, I actually was, as I consider myself, a, a recovering Republican um, before I, I started getting more involved in the movement. So with that, I wanted to, number one, give you an opportunity to introduce just who you are as Mark Clare over at Lines of Liberty, the editor in chief. What made you a libertarian? What makes you tick? And uh, with that, Mark Clare, the floor is yours. Boy, I could start in so many places. So I guess I'll start where I kind of did in the beginning there. Uh, I I do kind of remember, I I say remember to some extent, but I was also reminded of it. One of my very first podcasts in the first probably year or so after I started Lions of Liberty, I I decided to interview my dad for Father's Day. And he actually told me that he remembers even when I was a kid that I would would never just accept the answer that I was given. I would always ask like higher level questions about everything. I would always ask, well, why is this and why is that? And if I wasn't satisfied with that answer, I would continue to ask why, 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 <laughs> until I got to whatever I thought the truth of things were or until I was finally satisfied if I, if I ever was. So I think that inquisitiveness to just understand the whys of the world um, in some ways maybe made me a libertarian in, in a sense because I think if you ask that question enough, you're going to reach certain conclusions about what's right and, and what is wrong. Uh, but in the, the more present sense of the term, I mean, I, as you said, a lot of people come from the Republican small government side and I, I guess I certainly did. My father was a Republican growing up. Um, um, I would call him, 
I mean, he was a Republican in the um, sense that he always voted Republican, <laughs> um, but he was very focused on, I think, like personal responsibility side of things, like less. I didn't hear that much about political positions. I just always heard him speak about personal responsibility. I mean, he didn't grow up in the, in the best household in the world, and uh, he put himself through college and he taught himself how to become a salesman and became successful. And he did that all himself. He didn't do that, um, you know, by by taking handouts or anything. Not that there's wrong with people giving handouts or taking handouts, but he always said you you can only count on one person and you know that that's yourself. So I think that that attitude kind of instilled in me um maybe not the political end of it so much as just the idea of you know to make it in this world to do anything you have to be the one to do it. If you see a problem in your life or a problem in the world and you want it addressed your it starts with you. You can't just be screaming out there in the world and I think there are obvious implications if you think that through uh how that does apply to politics ultimately, but um really when I started down the actual path of libertarianism was when I was in college and uh, a good friend of mine who is a regular contributor, a regular drunk contributor to, to the podcast right now, uh, Howie Snowden. He was a, a good friend of mine. And uh, he used to tell me about this guy, Ron Paul, because when he was in high school, he was he served as a congressional page, uh, not for Ron Paul, but for, for some other congressman from Pennsylvania. And uh, but he used to interact with a lot of the congressmen and he used to just rave about this guy, Ron Paul, who he used office he used to go into sometimes. And he said he would sit and chat and this guy would tell him about libertarianism. And I just thought it was so crazy that he would just sit in a room with like a congressman. Like, why would a congressman even care to take time out of his day to talk to some kid? And and he said he always talked to him like like an adult, you know, like a real person, um, not not condescendingly like so many other congressmen would treat uh, many of the pages. So that just stood out to me. And that led me to start reading Dr. Paul's column. And this is um, probably in the late 90s, early 2000s. So this is long before he even uh, had his at least his national presidential runs that, uh, you know, created so many new libertarians with the Ron Paul revolution, but I started to read his column regularly, and I went through some political phases there um, in the meantime. I mean, I kind of identified as a Republican for a while, and then I went through a period after, uh, I would say after uh, the invasion of Iraq, or maybe around the invasion of Iraq, where I became very anti-war, and then I'd sort of identify with the left because of that, uh, but soon quickly realized that there was no real anti-war movement on the left, and I think Ron Paul helped me to see that the two-party system was was BS because he would always call out both sides. In fact, one thing that stood out to me so much reading his weekly column was that most of the time, even though he was a Republican, he spent the vast majority of his time criticizing Republicans and criticizing their policies and criticizing the war on drugs and criticizing the wars. And that just stood out to me so much and told me that this person is at least someone who is is trying to do the right thing, trying to tell the truth. He's not just falling into this sort of two-party uh, way of thinking where everything is either left or, or right. And I think that's what really did lead me down the path. Of course, I uh, learned about um, Ayn Rand and Red Atlas Shrugged and did all those uh, things you're supposed to do as a libertarian. <laughs> Eventually found my way to Rothbard, Mises, yada, yada, yada. We've all heard the pathway before. But it really was Ron Paul's presidential run in 2007 um, and 2008 and then again in 2012 that inspired me to actually become an active libertarian. Because I think before, being a libertarian was just something I did to myself. It was just a hobby. It was something in my mind. I read some books. I watched some videos. Uh, I didn't really talk about it with other people. And Ron Paul changed all that when I saw him on stage, uh, you know, denouncing the war in Iraq amongst, amongst a bunch of other Republicans where that was just a completely unheard of position as a Republican, denouncing the war on drugs and doing that on a national stage while he's being mocked, while he's being ridiculed, um, you know, by by the actual supposedly unbiased hosts that are supposed to be moderating. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that really stood out to me and his bravery to do that and to say 
such outlandish things um, really inspired me to start doing the same. So I started speaking out more in my personal life, telling people about Ron Paul, but also just telling people what I thought about um, what was right and what was wrong. And I think doing that enough and enough and enough, I realized, um, you know, I think around the same time just to get to the podcast, I, I did become uh, an avid listener of podcasts. So eventually it just seemed like a natural transition as someone who was absorbing podcasts constantly um, and someone that was becoming so immersed in uh, libertarian politics that those interests would merge. So um, ultimately that's what uh, that's what ended up happening. It's funny because I, 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 I always ask this question to my guests about how they became libertarians and almost always one central figure that seems to, to carry himself throughout everybody's venture into libertarianism is Ron Paul. And I just sure. think it's so funny how there was so many within the greater libertarian movement who said, you know, we need to to di- not necessarily distance ourselves from Ron Paul, but start looking towards the future. But I think it's so important to look at how we got to the libertarian movement and look at what Ron Paul did that was so successful to bring these people into the movement. I mean, I myself, I was a little bit after the fact where in 2012, I was looking more at Ron Paul versus the, the likes of, you know, the, the, the Mitt Romney's or the Chris Christie's. I mean, hey, I'll, I'll confess 100% that I was still within the GOP and I, I did support Mitt Romney. But hearing Ron Paul on the stage opposite Mitt Romney made me start to say, huh, you know, I'm going to start maybe thinking about things a little bit differently and realizing maybe the uh, the Republican big government in terms of social issues and, and foreign policy isn't really necessarily a way to attract a lot of people to the movement. And then Rand Paul started to speak more um, with regards to Going against the surveillance state, going against the um, the the foreign uh, wars over in Iraq and in the in the Middle East, and and that was really my you know my big swig of the uh, the the Kool Aid right. to, to libertarianism myself. So of the Liberty whiskey, ex- and that's what it takes. I mean, also you have to have that that one kind of aha moment, and then like I said, you start digging into the YouTube videos, you start listening to the podcast, and it it does seem like a natural progression to all of a sudden say, well, you know what. I have my own perspective as to what we're doing, what what better way or what's the best way. Nobody really seems to have the right answer to try to herd this this cat of a movement that is the libertarian movement. How can we try to best utilize people's skills and, and best bring people who are maybe libertarian curious into the movement? So to, to hear your perspective and how pretty much, I mean, you're, you're very much in the same ilk of those that I've had on my show before saying, yeah, it was really Ron Paul. So um, then you, you, obviously this, we're going to lead to what you have ended up creating over at the lines of Liberty. So you're the editor in chief over at lines of Liberty and you've been doing that for quite a while now. So why don't you uh, take a second introduce, I mean, I'm sure people on my show here in the, we are libertarians network. They're very familiar with lines of Liberty, but my show reaches a lot of people beyond the traditional, we are libertarians confines. I have people who are socialists, communists, anarchists, um, and all those between democratic Republicans, um, Good, good. I, lo- so, I love it all. So they're going to be, maybe they're, they're not familiar. Who is Lions of Liberty? What What is this magical empire that you created? Oh boy. I, I hope to someday be referred to as a libertarian empire, ironically, perhaps <laughs> of sorts. But, uh, well, okay. I guess Lions of Liberty, it, it sort of ties back in ultimately to how I first got interested in Ron Paul and libertarian ideas in college. Um, in college, I was in a fraternity. Uh, I had a, a solid group of friends there. And fast forwarding about 10 years later, uh, when I was out here living in Los Angeles, that was around the time that I got inspired and excited by the Ron Paul campaign. And uh, one of my friends from college, John Odermatt, he happened to be out here um, working in Southern California around that time. One, And that was when I was getting very excited about Ron Paul. I think it was just after the Giuliani moment where um, you know he basically just said that 9-11 
9-11 was that in fact blowback and Giuliani asked him to apologize and Ron Paul said said no I'm actually going to double down on that statement because that is you know an accepted fact and you need to you know do some reading basically and I was so inspired by that moment that I, I, th- I think at that bar when I was hanging out with John I couldn't shut up about Ron Paul and this <laughs> Ron Paul guy and uh, I was going off about the wars and being against the wars and I think John assumed that because I was talking about wars I was talking about you know I, I was some kind of Democrat because he was a Republican at the time and uh, he was shocked I think it blew his mind to find out that this guy I was raving about this anti-war anti-drug war guy was a Republican <laughs> from Texas of all things and I think that really just made his mind explode because it went so far against everything he was taught you know Republicans are supposed to be for war for the war on drugs and dem- the Democrats are the anti-war party even though we we now know none of this is really true at all uh, but I, I think just hearing something that broke broke outside of that general mindset really opened his eyes to thing and things and uh, that sort of sent him down the Ron Paul path as well around that same time my friend Brian who uh, lived out in Los Angeles as well uh, from the same group of friends was also getting into Ron Paul thanks to me and I basically ended up with a bunch of uh, I don't want to say evangelists but I ended up turning a lot of people onto Ron Paul uh, many of these people <laughs> branching off from that same friend group from college and uh, ultimately we ended up with a, a sort of an email chain going where we would send articles and comments back and forth um, it first started about just Ron Paul but then it became more of a philosophical discussion about different ideas of liberty uh, about anarcho-capitalism how certain things could work in a libertarian society how think how this and that could happen without the government and it just became a very informal discussion group and at some point uh, one of us just basically said like why don't we start a blog why we're having we're typing all this stuff out already why don't we start our own uh, forum um, to just sort of put some of this conversation out there um, so that the Lions of Liberty basically was that at first it was four of us that just decided to start this website lionsofliberty.com and uh, you say my title editor-in-chief um, I can't remember the last time an article was written there or published there <laughs> it's been so long because that that used to be our focus when we first started but uh, we ended up shifting into the podcast eventually over time and to the point where that's basically all we do uh, at this point um, but yeah, that, that basically, uh, that, that group of friends and that, that email chain grew into Lions of Liberty, the Lions being, uh, the Nittany Lion from Penn State where we all first met and that, uh, that's how the, the name formed from there. And like I said, we started out just doing articles basically as, as propagandists for Ron Paul during his campaign, um, just really pumping out articles about the, the daily updates of, you know, I remember when he was going to all these caucuses and getting screwed. This is in 2011, 2012, when every week we'd say, oh, Ron Paul's polling this high and he's going to win. And then he wouldn't win. And then there would be all these stories about corruption at the caucuses. We'd be writing articles about all this stuff all the time and, and writing articles. Just any, any, any statement made in the press by Ron Paul, we would put out some article, you know, breaking down our thoughts about it and trying to spread it around on social media through our social circles. And uh, eventually, uh, uh, like I said, I was getting really in, interested in podcasts just on my own in my free time, and I I couldn't find enough libertarian podcasts. Obviously, things have changed. This is in 2011, 2012. I was going to say, nowadays, you, you, you right. cannot not find libertarian podcasts. <laughs> now I can't find time to listen to non-libertarian podcasts because I have so many libertarian podcasts in my feed. But at the time, there was not a lot. There was Lou Rockwell had a podcast, um, but it, was, it wasn't regular. It wasn't every week. I wanted a podcast where I could tune in each and every week and know I'm going to get like a good solid interview about libertarian ideas so because I couldn't find it I created it and I was really excited about that um, I, I said you know I'm going to have that that libertarian podcast that everyone goes to for their interviews I'm going to really do in-depth interviews and right as I was starting that podcast, I see an ad pop up in my Facebook feed. Uh, some guy that no one's ever heard of named Tom Woods was also starting a podcast uh, <laughs> with, with a similar idea of doing interviews. And he was doing his five days a week. 
<laughs> so I said, all right, I guess I have a little competition. But I, I plugged away anyway. I started doing my show. I started doing interviews. And, um, you know, I was thankful to so many people who were gracious enough to be interviewed by me when I was absolutely nobody. Uh, people like Walter Block, uh, Glenn Jacobs came on the show, I think the fifth episode. So that really helped me at least get, get a little momentum once you can, you know, name drop a, f- a few people. Oh, As you know, once you get those first couple names, that it really helps uh, with your credibility, so to speak, get, getting new people after that. But uh, I, I think what's ended up uh, having the show stand apart from your typical inter- interview show, now that there are so many, is really something I intended to do from the very beginning, and that's incorporate my friends that um, had really started the website with me and had been such a part of my growth in the movement um, and incorporating them and their thoughts into the show. So we started doing sort of roundtable discussions, which have evolved now into a segment called Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, where we basically just sit around and drink and uh, chat about libertarian stuff. And uh, that's become one of our more popular segments. So uh, we do that a lot. And of course, at this point, we've branched out to a, a three show format where um, we have my show, my long running Lions of Liberty podcast uh, every single Monday. And then on Tuesday, Brian McWilliams has a, a comedy culture focused show called Electric Liberty Land. And then on Friday, John Odermatt has a criminal justice system based show uh, where it, that's basically evolved into mostly or largely interviews with people who have been in the criminal justice system, people who have been thrown in jail for insane amounts of time. And um, a lot of those people have really conquered uh, that conquered that challenge and come out an even better person and been very successful in life. So uh, those are some very inspiring stories. That's that's a show called Felony Friday. So I, I think now it's really that those diversity of voices, um, all with a very similar focus about our passion for the ideas of liberty, of course. That is why we're lions. That's why we're out there roaring. So I think um, that has really helped set us apart this sort of variety show format um, that you're going to get three shows every single week. They're going to be there every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you're not going to get the same exact thing every time. You're going and get mm-hmm. sort of a different take. We don't all necessarily agree on our perspective on every single issue. Uh, our take on things ch- kind of changes, and the style of show that we do is is, is quite different uh, at times. So I think, um, meanwhile, we do have sort of a united spirit, so to speak. So I think that's uh, really been the key to our our success and our growth. I think you've seen that a lot too with uh, the other libertarian podcasts, where we all kind of we we've all fallen into our own little niche. So I mean, for instance, you 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 have your your three. Um, style show there over at the Lions of Liberty with your, your three different, um, like you just mentioned, the three different shows per, per week. I know we're libertarians. You have, you have Chris doing, uh, the, uh, the main show, but we've added in Wall Daily. So we have some daily shows coming out as well with some, um, different contributors. Uh, over at Tom Woods, obviously Tom has his, his, you know, five day a week, uh, grueling schedule, which I just commend him for what he's able to do. Um, you know, over at my show, we have, once a week, we'll have guests on from, I mean, like I mentioned before, people who are rabid socialists to, you know, I've had like Adam Kokesh on. So, I mean, just ranging from all those in between to have d- these different voices. And I think it's so valuable for all of us to have our own little niche because um, we're able to kind of touch the different facets of trying to bring people into libertarianism, whether it's talking about current events or talking about, um, you know, like like you are doing with these various issues that are cultural um, slash uh, it could be policy wise. Mine's trying to inter- interview people who are um, different prominent voices within their own respective niche. So I have Shoshana Weissman on back last month to talk about occupational licensing. And then I had uh, Michael. that was a great, great interview. I just heard that one actually the other day. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, And she's hilarious too. She's just an absolute gem. Um, But uh, then you have somebody like uh, Jeffrey Tucker or Steve Horwitz on to talk about economics. Like, yeah. To have those types of, of voices on these different podcasts or just for us to have our own unique perspectives to bring people into the movement, I think that's more valuable. And, and I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers over at LP National, but 
I think what we're doing is a, is definitely more valuable to actually reach the, the 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 foot soldiers for the libertarian movement rather than some of these these candidates that LPs just running across the uh, the you know the, the the country because I've come to the conclusion that not necessarily all of LP Nationals candidates are good candidates. It's just to fill that need to have a candidate run. And obviously you'll have your candidates like your Larry Sharps, who, you know, they are the the, the standard bearer for <laughs> like libertarianism in New York State, for example. Um and, and they'll they'll do a great job like Jacob Letty down in Texas. Um uh to have people like that is important, but I think what we're doing to actually reach the the average person is I think it's, we're having a really big impact, and I just don't think it's really appreciated. I'm not really sure I was going off with with that diatribe, but just, well, <laughs> it, it just it feels like I don't say we're underappreciated, but I think it's so valuable for for us to realize that you know, we are really bringing a great deal of value to the greater movement. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to have success starting to change someone's mind when the end goal isn't really. I have to change your mind fully by the end of this conversation. So if I'm just having a conversation with someone and the end goal isn't, and now you have to go vote for me and click this L button and that's going to change your perspective. <laughs> it's a different kind of conversation than, than when you are, you know, trying to help with a campaign or, I mean, I can't tell you how difficult it was to, um, I, I did campaign for Ron Paul in 2008 actually. And, uh, it's I went tough. door to door. It's oh, and tough. I'm, I mean, in Los Angeles of all places, I'm going door to door campaigning for <laughs> bless a 90 year old, you know, 80 year old Republican. So, uh, but you know, I would start off the conversations getting to know the people and, and sort of talking about what's important to them. And I would agree with so many people, uh, about their anti-war stance or this or that. Of course, I would disagree on some other things and I would kind of brush those aside. But, you know, as soon as it got to now, will you vote for this Republican? The conversation's over. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, there are many other places in the country where the conversation wouldn't end, but out here in LA, I mean, that ended the conversation with 80 to 90% of people. Well, I could, I could never do that. I could never do that because so many people are locked in on their team and in their mode. So if you're not necessarily asking them to do something like that, and I think there is value in libertarian campaigns. I mean, I've been involved with the party. I've interviewed so many candidates. I think there is value in it, but I think it's it's a lot easier to convert, to change people's minds on a subject or two, on say the war on drugs, on occupational mm-hmm. licensing, by having a real conversation about it than when here's the 10 reasons you need to vote for you know candidate this candidate with an L next to their name. Absolutely. It's so important to look at what we're doing and then to have the people who are behind the scenes that are actually making the engine churn. I mean, I love the analogy of like you have the engineer and the sales guy, like the sales guy is the one who's out there and trying to bring people into the movement and saying, this is what the value of libertarianism or just, heck, we don't need to say libertarianism, just the ideas of personal liberty, economic freedom, like this is the value of, of this idea, this concept, not hurting people and not taking people's stuff. But there's still a very important role for the person that's, you know, behind the scenes that's actually doing the, uh, you know, I, I work in telecom for, as a communications consultant for my day job. So I'm the one out there talking to the, like the, the customers and the prospects. But like, it's so important when we get down to actually showing the solution, having the, the sales engineer who's like, all right, well, here's how this, this piece of, you know, networking is going to interface with, you know, name your, your UCAS solution. And, and it's so important to have that voice. But I think, one of the big problems, it's not a big problem, but one of the issues that we're finding with trying to message to the people out beyond the confines of the Liberty Movement is a lot of the people who are doing the sales are the engineer guys. Um, yeah. And that's not to say that they're not important, but we just need to, I think, have a better self-awareness as to what each person's specific 
strong suit is. So like if you're someone who's really, really good at the, the, the philosophy and you're good at trying to articulate these ideas on paper, maybe your role would be better suited for you know, writing for a blog, like, like writing for Austin Peterson's Libertarian Republic. Um, but maybe you're better at doing the, the sales stuff. Well, maybe you should get more involved in your local Libertarian Party um, chapter or like I'm the, the chapter leader for America's Future Foundation here in Philadelphia and you know, actually talking to people and holding events to bring people into the movement. So like, I think that will be a great, well, once we are able to have like a collective aha moment, I think that's when we're really going to see the wheels start to move and actually have some substantive change beyond just trying to change people's minds, but then do actually accomplish those electoral victories down the road. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I've learned is that, you know, you have to know who you're talking to and, and who your audience is because there's different ways you're going to talk to different people. Um, you know, they say the, uh, the converted need to be preached to as well. So there's certainly a place for deep philosophical conversations. And that's really a lot of what I focus on in my writing. And, um, you know, it's very active. I don't know if you ever, were ever over at the website daily Paul back in the day, I was yep. very active over there. Mm-hmm. I got into super long rabbit holes with people about the philosophy and I, I love that stuff. Um, um, but you can't approach these deep philosophical, you know, libertarian thought processes. You can't bring that all to the dinner table for Thanksgiving and expect to win your family over. Uh, you have to use completely different. And I hate to use the word tactics because it sounds so shifty, um, but it's the reality of the world. So we can either accept it or not. You have to use different persuasion tactics on different kinds of people, depending on who they are, um, what the approach to the conversation is and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, if you're just talking to the the, the, liber- the other libertarians out there, you can certainly approach the conversation in the more engineering type way, nitty gritty, let's get down to this. Uh, if you're just trying to get people's attention and get them thinking a different in a different way, you have to really tug at their emotions and tug at uh, their heartstrings. And that's, that's what you have to have find, find ways to do. And that's going to be different f- for uh, anybody, you know, depending on, depending on who they are. So mm-hmm. it's really just about knowing your audience and what's going to move them. And, um, you know, you might just want to be the great truth sayer and that's what I want to do. And that's what I strive to do. That's why we do this show is because we want to spread the truth, but you to do it effectively. There's no point in just screaming from the mountaintops and being angry all the time because you're not going to win any c- converts that way. You're not going to win any friends. Friends. Yep. Um, and that this is one thing I've learned, I think, doing the podcast more than anything else uh, from so many of my guests, from having so many conversations. You realize that the ability to have an actual conversation, um, I, I think they say the medium is the message in, in many ways. If if your medium is a friendly conversation, well, then you can get that message across much better. And as opposed to going into things uh, looking for combat, looking to defeat your opponent, because if, if <laughs> someone leaves feeling defeated, they don't want to be on your team now. They don't want to be on your side, even if they might otherwise agree with you. You. Well, it's the so Jason Stapleton right there. Important. Jason Stapleton always <laughs> says, win converts, not arguments. And I think too many people in the libertarian movement get to the mindset that we need to win this argument because we're right. And for us, it's just so black and white. It's like, well, this just logically and rationally makes sense. And, and you'll have, you know, people like, like, Ben. why are you so stupid? I mean, believe me, I, I, I feel the same way. I have to fight that instinct so many times. It's and tough. that used to be more of like what I would be. I would just be like, all right, I have all the facts. I have the seven reasons that the Iraq war was bullshit and I can go in there with these facts, but that, and maybe you'll win the argument, but so what did you, did you change anybody's mindset? And that the answer is for the most part, no. I mean, once in a while you might find the person that you do just defeat an argument and they're so defeated and they realize they're so wrong that they totally change their philosophy 
philosophy. I'm sure it's happened, uh, but that's not typically how you win people over. Well, Ben Shapiro, I mean, he's what's he most famous for? It's his facts don't care about your feelings. Line. Ben Shapiro destroys. That's all I see <laughs> everywhere on uh, on Facebook. Those little videos. And he's always destroying somebody. And they're all based on him using this this logical, rational progression to absolutely obliterate somebody. But I mean, unless unless they are able to have the self-awareness of how absolutely, you know, destroyed they were, they're not going to, you know, walk back and be like, you know what, Ben was right. They're going to, like, go away feeling completely, you know, ashamed or or just more in, you know, they'll dig their heels in and be like, this this freaking guy, like, you know, he he he's so gross in his his generalizations or, or what have you. And I think it's really important for us as not just libertarians, but for those conservatives or, or just even Republicans that are listening to the show, that when we're talking to people across the aisle, be in terms of their partisan politics or their philosophy, we have to be able to speak to their emotions because that's how they're thinking. They're approaching all their politics and all their their ideological beliefs based on their their emotional appeal to to do good. Um, and I had this conversation. I forget who it was with, um, but we were talking about looking at those in the the socialist camp. And I say, I was like, hey. I understand that you're approaching this as, you know, they're looking to take the government and then use the government to force their beliefs on you. And I agree, that's wrong. But we have to look and see, why are they doing that? Because in their minds, they're trying to use government to do good. We have to educate, enlighten, and inform that what the problem is that when you use government, you're actually going to be negatively hurting somebody else. You're, you're hurting their other people and you're taking their stuff. Here's a better solution, and this solution actually will yield the same result, maybe in a different way, but it's going to yield a similar result that you want without hurting people and not taking their stuff. And I think if we're able to communicate that message in that way, that's when we're going to actually win those 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 converts instead of just trying to go out and say, well, okay, well, I just, you know, Brian Nichols destroyed, Mark Claire destroyed, Ben Shapiro <laughs> destroyed, you know? Yeah, no one wants to be destroyed. That's not most people's <laughs> goals in the conversation. Oh, he destroyed me. Now let me... Join up with him? No, <laughs> it just doesn't work. Let me see. I feel like the only person I can think of in like contemporary politics would be like Dave Rubin, maybe, because he was over at Young Turks. Um, maybe Candace Owens. And I feel dirty even saying that because I think she's more of a populist um, than yeah. really like, you know, taking the message by the, the you know, the, the balls and trying to bring it forward. But um, eh, with that, I digress. Let's let, I want to swing over it really quick and let's discuss some happenings over at Lions of Liberty. Now, I know sure. as we get towards the end of the year, usually the news slows down. People kind of, you know, little, you know, you start to to maybe drink a couple more cocktails at night with the family. But you guys over at Lions of Liberty, you're getting ready for battle because you're doing your your Lions of Liberty um, Liberty draft. So that is true. Yes. yes. So give give my audience an idea. What is the Liberty draft? And uh, and just I guess. Yeah. What is the Liberty draft? And because <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to hear that. You're like, what the hell is that? Yeah, it's this weird concept that I dreamed up a couple of years ago. Uh, I just decided, you know, I'm sure mo- many of your listeners are at least familiar with fantasy football, where you draft a pretend football team that you manage. Uh, and this is a similar idea. So a couple of years ago, we had a full draft with four four teams, and uh, we drafted a basically a, a Liberty propaganda team, essentially. And you had to fill certain spots. So you have like, a, this is all basically for the Libertarian Party, just because it's the easiest way to sort of uh, ration things out. 
out, but we had a libertarian presidential candidate, libertarian vice presidential candidate. We had YouTube stars, podcasters, uh, mainstream media figures. And we, uh, you know, we kind of each, each formed our teams and had our fans vote on it. So that, that was the original idea of the draft. And then we did, we recently revisited it uh, on the last episode of the show. So that is um, now, now we've done uh, something interesting. We've decided to have a, a little bit of a keeper aspect to the league. So we've taken our old teams from four years ago and we've each kept a couple players from those teams. And then we added two new teams and had a supplemental draft. So it's getting very <laughs> complicated now. And uh, it, we're, in many ways, we're making up the rules as we go. There's no real prize here. There's no real point system either. It's just really just a fun activity to do. Um, but it's, it's made for some really fun shows and a lot of people really getting into it. Uh, at one point, we had different people who were drafted sort of lobbying for the d- different teams. We had Larry Sharp was sending in his army of people. Uh, there was an Austin Peterson group where people were sending in people to vote for people that he, you know, for the team he was on. So uh, it got really fun. So we're hoping to reinvigorate that excitement once again here um, towards the end of the year. So we've now decided to make it uh, just a multi-part show. So the, the draft is going to be basically a regular feature um, every month or so uh, going forward for a while here. Probably just do a, a round or two every episode and, and see where we're at. I just wanted to let you know, Mark, even though I am a libertarian and I'm against the idea of war, I am fully going to drop my name into the hat to be a part of the draft if I need to go into battle. So just know, even though I've been right. in the movement really for a couple of years as a, a more, no, I want to say I'm well known in the liberty movement, but as someone who's been active in the liberty movement for the past few years, just let me, just let me know if you need, you know, me to, to, to swing over and, you know, just carry the charge. I did play football too, by the way. So I, was I will like, keep you, I will keep you on the long list. Okay. I, I was a potential no, draft. I was a nose tackle in football. I know, I know the sport. So if we, if we're going to go that kind of route, actually having it be like a football game, let me know. That's where actually where I'd have a, <laughs> some strong suit. Um, Maybe we could turn it into an actual <laughs> game of sorts. Maybe we could take the drafted people and then show up at say pork fest or something like that and have an actual game. I don't know. Yeah, this t- could get weird. Tom Woods is the quarterback. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll be a nose tackle just the idea of me sacking tom woods is just the the most strange thing to ever think about but here we are it's this is what happens when two libertarians start talking about a liberty draft and turning into things get nerdy that's what happens and that's the best part about it (laughs) so uh, we're getting ready to the 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 point of the show where i like to uh, to wrap things up so with that i like to give my audiences uh i'm sorry my guests rather the opportunity to to teach the audience or or maybe give a final thought to the audience something you find interesting unique quirky about yourself whatever or anything that's coming up here down the road that you want to plug so with that Mark Claire, final thoughts for uh, this episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Oh, boy, that's very broad. Interesting, quirky about myself. Um, well, I guess the most interesting thing that I guess I'll mention, and I don't need to get into the, the details of my professional life too much, but I did recently win an Emmy. So I'm now officially an Emmy award winning podcaster. Uh, for It was for technical work I do in TV production. So um, even though I am not a a Emmy winner for podcasting, I can still call myself an Emmy award-winning podcaster and be technically completely true. So I'm going to start using that tagline. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then uh, other than that, I mean, the only thing I really want to plug is, of course, Lions of Liberty. You can find us everywhere. You find podcasts. Every podcatcher should call us up if you just type it in there. So iTunes, Stitcher, the whole deal. Uh, everything goes up on YouTube. Uh, we also have lionsofliberty.com. And if you love our show so much that you want to send us money, you can do that over on Patreon at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. 
And uh, we do three episodes, three completely free episodes every single week. Uh, but it does not end there because we do a ton, a boatload of bonus content. We have multiple regular shows that appear um, in our Patreon feed as well as bonus segments when we have with uh, guests. I've done bonus uh, questions from listeners with Tom Woods, with Scott Horton, with Dave Smith, with Julie Borowski, all sorts of big guests that we have on. We uh, we try to get uh, Patreon uh, supporters into some for some questions and bonus segments. So we really go very far out of our way to make sure that people that send us money don't just they don't just send it and hope that they're getting something back. They get <laughs> a lot of content back, and uh, we show you guys what we do with the money. I mean, last year the Patreon money sent us to Porkfest, sent us to the Libertarian National Convention, and we produced a bunch of extra podcasts uh, from those events. So um, the money goes to action. We don't take a dime ourselves. We put it all back into growing and promoting the show and just doing more and more um, with it. So that's that's really all I, all I would want to promote would be to check us out. And uh, if you like what we're doing, consider parting with a few Federal Reserve notes. They're getting inflated away anyway. <laughs> Usually I don't have anything quirky to add. Um, but I, I'm actually really pumped about a, a gift I bought myself. So for those of you who, who are listeners of The Brian Nichols Show, likely know <laughs> that I am a huge fan of the uh, the television show The Office. And um, yes. I ended up, I purchased, I saw it online. I was like, I have to have this. It was a t-shirt for the gym. And it's got a picture of Dwight flexing. And it says, Dwight Schrute's Gym for Muscles. And I am ecstatic to wear it to the gym. I, I just came home and it was it was here and I was so excited. So that's my quirky fun thing of the day. I, I got my Dwight Schrute Gym for Muscle shirt. And I'm, I'm definitely going to have to post some pictures so folks can see the uh, the beauty that is this shirt. So that's my fun quirk for the day. But uh, with that, Mark, nice. thank you so much, man, for taking the time to, to join me out of your very, very, very busy schedule there over at Lines of Liberty. I really do appreciate it. It's true. As soon as you hang up, I'm, I'm starting a podcast there, for real. So. <laughs> well, there, well, I'm not going to keep you then. So with that being said, Mark, Claire, Lions of Liberty. Oh, and Mark, where can folks find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me. Well, you can follow Lions of Liberty at Lions of Liberty, and my personal Twitter is at Mark M A R C with a C, not a K. M A R C D, my middle initial Claire C L A I R at Mark D Claire. And of course, I will include the links not only to Mark Claire but also the Lions of Liberty in the show notes. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for showing, uh, joining today for The Brian Nichols Show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please swing over to our uh, our Patreon. Give us a, a little uh, help over there, but also share today's episode with your family and friends. And as always, uh, feel free to go ahead and follow me over on Twitter, on Facebook, at B Nichols Liberty. And if you're interested in making a one-time PayPal donation, you can go ahead and do that at Show at gmail.com. But for that, this is Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Mark Claire of Lions and Liberty. We'll see you Roar. next week. Roar! <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.